Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by the sermons, devotional readings, and teachings that we put out as an encouragement and strength for daily living as we seek to glorify the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, because all things are done for our good and His glory. Welcome to For the Nations podcast, where we proclaim the gospel because Jesus asked for the nations. This is your host, Cody Lester. On this episode, I'm doing a throwback to the Christmas parade in 2019, where I gave an open-air gospel presentation to passers-by. This approach to evangelism seems to get a lot of criticism. It seems harsh. It seems unloving, or it isn't effective. Consideration of these arguments should be seen in the light of the biblical revelation and the fact that Jesus preached into the open air, as did the apostles that followed him. All the prophets of the Old Testament preached open-air sermons as well. Given these examples, we can see that this is one of God's chosen methods of evangelism, and we must follow the model that God has laid out for us in Scripture. May God receive all the glory for my preaching. Hello, my name is Cody Lester. I'm a member in good standing with New Hope Baptist Church in Moreland, and we are here today to share with you the good news about Jesus Christ. We thought it would be fitting during this Christmas parade to proclaim to you the good news of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, before we get to the good news, we do have some bad news, but we will also get to the good news afterwards, so please bear with me. We'll start there. In the beginning, God made man good and upright. Man's relationship to God in the garden was as the creation was, perfect, harmonious, and good. Man was able to perfectly reflect the image of his creator in all aspects of his being because he was pure, unstained from any sin. However, man did not remain in this state for long as Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This one act of treason changed things forever. We see and experience the effects of this fall all around us. Now man must toil in pain by the sweat of his brow. Woman's pain in childbearing has been multiplied Marital strife is a painful reality. Even the creation is subject to this curse as it now yields thorns, thistles, natural disasters. Indeed, everything in creation is subject to decay, including our bodies, which are susceptible to disease and pain and death. But these are merely the physical consequences of the fall. Let's consider the spiritual consequences. Adam, being the first created man, represented the entire human race. That means he represented you and me. When he fell into sin, we all fell. The sin of Adam is therefore credited to us, and as a result, we are born with a sinful nature. We're not blank slates. Rather, we are conceived with a predisposition toward unrighteousness. By nature, we crave that which God hates. We insatiably thirst for the pleasures of sin. We daily commit grievous sins and applaud those who do the same. The Bible puts it like this. It says that we are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. We are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. We are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, 
heartless and ruthless. And though we know that God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, we not only do them, we give approval to those who practice them. Jesus taught it like this, that out of our hearts come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander, and these are what defile a person. And my friend, if you don't think that's the state of man, simply turn on the 6 o'clock news and see many of these things. Paul sums it up in Romans chapter 3 like this. He says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. The throat is an open grave. We use our tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And our paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace we have not known. There is no fear of God before our eyes. My friends, these are some heavy things to say and some heavy things to ponder. I promise we'll get to some very good news soon. But maybe you think these things are a little heavy-handed. Maybe you think man is basically good. There's just a few bad apples out there. But I would challenge you to consider yourself not against your fellow man. We can always find somebody worse than we are. But consider yourself, compare yourself to the standard of God's righteous decree, to the standard of God's character, to the standard of His Ten Commandments. In His Commandments it says you shall not lie. How many lies have you told in your entire life? Hundreds? Thousands? What do you call someone who tells thousands of lies but a liar? You shall not steal. Have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? You shall not commit adultery. Now on this commandment, Jesus taught this. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. My friends, which one of us has not done this? You shall not murder. Maybe you think, oh, there's one I've kept. But Jesus likewise on this commandment said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So my friend, the commandments look to the heart of a person, not to your outward actions. Honor your father and mother. If you're a parent, maybe right now you're giggling because you know that our children do not always honor our fathers, their fathers and their mother. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. How many times do we hear this a day on television when, we, when people use God's name as a cuss word, blaspheming His holy name? And so my friends, if you're like me, you've fallen short of these commands. If you're like me, you're a liar a thief, an adulterer, a murderer at heart, dishonoring to your father and mother, you've blasphemed God's name, you've had idols. So God's Ten Commandments, God's law exposes our sin. Is this a bad thing? Does that mean the law is bad? On this point, Paul comments on Romans 7, says the law is, is the law sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet. If, I had not, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. 
For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The problem is not with God's Ten Commandments. The problem is us. We fall short of them. We can't keep them in and of ourselves. Paul sums it up like this. He says, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. He concludes with this, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is the good news we want to get to. The good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. But before we do that, let's consider our situation. Let's consider our plight. We're sinners. We've fallen short. God's commandments say you shall not lie. We've all lied. You shall not steal. Most of us have stolen something. You shall not commit adultery. Jesus taught that went in the heart. The same with murder. If you've hated somebody in your heart, you've murdered them. What shall we do about this situation? God will give an account to us. Or we will give an account to God for these things. But what are we going to say to Him? Shall we offer Him our good works? Maybe God will consider the good things we've done in our life along with the bad. Try that in a court of law. Try saying to the judge, Judge, I know I broke ten laws, but I've also done a lot of good things. I've helped little old ladies cross the street. I've given to many charitable causes. The judge will say, that's irrelevant. Your good works will not be considered when the judge sentences you. Not only this, the Bible is replete with passages that say that salvation is not by works. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Likewise, Titus 3 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Galatians 2, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1, he saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace. And Romans 9 sums this up nicely when it says that salvation is not by human will or exertion, but it is upon God who has mercy. Furthermore, if we think we can offer our good works to God, imagine this. Imagine receiving a good gift from someone like Jeffrey Epstein. Imagine receiving a gift from him. Maybe he's going to take you out for a good time, take you to a movie you wanted to see. Why is this repulsive? Because it comes from filthy hands. It comes from a filthy individual. The same is true of us in our sins. If you try to offer your good works to God, it comes from filthy hands. So our good works won't help us before the judge of our soul. So what will the judge give us? What do we deserve? Well, we rightly deserve hell. I know this is an unpopular opinion and these are not glad tidings, but trust me, shortly we will get to the good news. But we deserve hell for our sins. Maybe you think that's a little too harsh. Imagine a situation. Imagine if I told a lie. If I told a lie to my kids, if I told a lie to my wife, if I told a lie to my boss, if I told a lie to the government. Four scenarios 
What happens in each one of those? If I lie to my kids, what happens to me? Nothing. If I lie to my wife, well, I'm sleeping on the couch. If I lie to my boss, I could get fired. I could lose my source of income. That's a big deal. If I lie to the government, that's treason. It's a high crime, punishable by prison time. What changed in each scenario? The power and authority of the one lied to. The power and authority of the one offended. My friend, when you break God's commands, you offend the highest power and the highest authority that there is. That's why it's punishable by hell. The Bible describes it like this. It says that hell is the unquenchable fire. It is a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. It is a place of outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is described as a lake of fire. It is eternal conscious torment. And I don't want that for you. I wouldn't want that for anyone. It is God's place of torment. Not the devil's hell. I don't know where that phrase came from, but this is God's place of torment where he pours out justice on the ungodly. If you're having a hard time believing these things, the scripture says this, that God resists the proud. You've got to swallow your pride and come to him on his terms. You've got to get low before you can come to Christ. So how shall we escape? How shall we escape hell? We've broken God's law. We rightly deserve hell. How can we escape? We need someone to save us. We need a savior. This is the good news. This is what we're celebrating. We're celebrating Emmanuel. That is God with us. Jesus, the Christ. Let's consider who he is. The scriptures in John 1 say that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. This word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1 says this of Christ. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. In Philippians 2, it says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Colossians 1 says this of Christ, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And let's not forget Jesus' famous statement in John chapter 8 when he says, Truly, truly, before Abraham was, I am. That is to say, he is the eternal existent one. He is God. So we see here that Christ is fully God and fully man. That is why he is nicknamed Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's what we're celebrating at Christmas time. So how does he save? We've considered who he is. 
How does he save us? Jesus is the one who makes what's called atonement. He makes satisfaction. He makes a payment. It works like this. We've broken God's laws every time we've lied, every time we've stolen something, every time we've hated someone in our heart, that's considered murder in God's eyes. Every time we've committed adultery in our hearts, we've broken God's law. Jesus steps in to pay the fine. So when Jesus was dying on that cross, he was receiving God's wrath in our place. It was a substitutionary payment. The scripture says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree so that we might live to God, die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. 1 Peter 3, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. In Isaiah 53, the famous passage says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Since Jesus has paid our fine, the judge can let us go free. The judge can let us go. Well, let's consider for a moment, how can we get rewarded by the judge? Because there's a big difference between being let go free and the judge letting you into his heaven. It's through the righteousness of Jesus, the imputed righteousness of Jesus. Maybe you've heard that Jesus lived a perfect life. Why is that important? Because his righteousness, his perfection is credited to the believer in Christ. That's why God can allow you to come into heaven. The Bible puts it like this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of Jesus is credited to all who believe. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's put like this. It says, For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the great exchange. All of my sin placed on Jesus Christ. God deals with him as such on the cross. All of Jesus' goodness and righteousness credited to the believer so that God can give me a son's welcome when I die. It's not a righteousness in and of yourself. It's a righteousness in Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is the great exchange. And that, my friends, is the gospel. And that is the good news that we wanted to share with you today. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you can have your sins atoned for. You can have your sins paid for. You can have the burden of your guilt lifted. And you can have the righteousness and perfection of Jesus credited to your account. So what do we need to do to receive this good news? How shall we receive it? It's through two things, through repentance and faith. Through repentance and faith. So let's talk about what does it mean to repent? What is repentance? It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. It's the kind of change of mind where one has begun to abhor their errors and their misdeeds and their sins and have determined to enter upon a better course of life. 
so that it embraces both a recognition of sin and sorrow for it and a hearty amendment. You can think of it like this. It's turning from sin and turning towards God. That's what repentance is. John the Baptist, who uh, preceded Christ, he paved the way for Christ. He preached this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance paves the way for Jesus. Jesus likewise preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus also denounced the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. They did not turn from their sins. Jesus sent his disciples to preach repentance in Mark 6, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, and Acts chapter 17. Repentance is commanded over 30 times in Scripture, and you're commanded this day. Repent. Turn from your sins. Turn to Jesus Christ, and you will live. But perhaps you think that repentance is a good work. We had already talked about God won't receive our good works, and now you're telling me to repent and do a good work? Imagine an example of an unfaithful man repenting and coming back to his wife. He comes crawling back. Does he deserve to be taken back because of his repentance? Has his repentance granted him any bragging rights if she takes him back? No. His repentance is the right response to his sin. Repentance is the right response to our sins. It is not considered a good work, but it is necessary for salvation. We must turn from our sins and turn towards Christ in faith. What does it mean to have faith? Some people say it doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you believe it, as long as you're really sincere. Christ has not left this open to us. He says, I told you, you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's from John chapter 8. So concerning the content of our faith, we must consider two things. We must consider who is God and what is the gospel. Who is God? What is the gospel? In Galatians 1, Paul put it like this. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. We must have the right gospel. And that's what we've been preaching to you today. We've all broken God's law. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've all told lies, stolen, committed adultery in our hearts, committed murder in our hearts when we hate someone else. But what shall we do but turn to Christ? He never sinned. He never broke God's law. He was perfectly righteous. We need His righteousness credited to us. In our faith, we must also consider who is God. We mentioned two things. Who is God and what is the gospel? Scripture is clear that there is one and only one God, eternal, immutable. He is our Creator. There are three eternal persons described in Scripture. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Father, Son, and Spirit are always identified as being fully God. That is, the Bible teaches the deity of the Father, the deity of the Son, the deity of the Holy Spirit. That is who God is. But it's not enough to just know these facts about God and to know this gospel if we don't believe it. We must believe this gospel and furthermore, 
we must go one step further because James 2 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So it is not enough to simply believe. We must love the truth. We must embrace the truth. We must live it out. We must embrace the goodness and sweetness of Christ, not our own goodness. We have none. We've all lied. We've all stolen, committed adultery in our hearts, murdered in our hearts when we've hated someone else. We've all fallen short of God's commands. We need a Savior. That's who we're talking about, Jesus Christ. In considering, have I truly come to Christ? Do I really know Him? Think of this. Is Jesus Christ the controlling factor in your life? When you wake up in the morning, do you have praise for Christ for preserving you through the night? Is it because He lives that you can face tomorrow, as the song says? Is Christ your Lord, your Master, your Boss? Is it that whatever Christ says, you will do? Does Jesus define your views on things like sexuality, education, politics, all the hot-button issues? Does God's Word define your views on marriage, work, parenting? We must submit in all areas of our life. If you will have Him as Savior, you must have Christ as Lord. And these things are universally true that I'm telling you. Jesus says that, that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. He's not a way among many. He's the only way. Turn to Christ and live. Scripture says there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Repent of your sins. Turn to Christ and you will find Him to be a perfect Savior. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from lying. Turn away from stealing. Turn away from the adultery in your heart or in your actions. Turn away from all of your sins. Turn to Jesus Christ. He is the perfect Savior. He never broke God's law. He is the, the only one qualified to stand in our place to make substitutionary payment for sinners. Repent today. Turn to Christ.